you can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20 if you have a Bible, um, or on your phone, or uh, the Scripture is printed for you uh, in the bulletin as well. We're in a series right now called The Life of a New Church, where uh, we're literally talking about just that, the life of a new church. We're thinking about some like essential attributes um, or areas of focus for our new church family. We're a new church family. We, we just celebrated our first birthday. We're a year old, still feels very new. We don't even have our own permanent leadership yet. So if you're just visiting these last few weeks, know that you're stepping into something that like, we're just figuring it out as we go. It's still very new here. Um, a few weeks ago in this series, we talked about hospitality. And we talked about the importance of opening up our homes to one another and, and to those in our neighborhoods and to those in our apartment complexes and having people around our table. And one of the things uh, that we, we was sort of the challenge that we put out there was to have uh, one person um, or family from your neighborhood into your home around your table that you've not yet done before. And that was a challenge we put out there. And it's been so great to hear stories of people doing that, of people reaching out to those they hadn't yet before and having them in their home and practicing this hospitality. We think that's essential for us as a new church, that we'd be hospitable to each other and to those neighborhoods and where, God is, where God has placed us. Last week we talked about using our unique gifts, those unique things that God has given us, that unique way of being that God has given us uh, to serve the church family. And the challenge with that was to spend some time just praying and journaling and reflecting on, okay, what are the gifts that God has given me? And once you sort of have some clarity there, just to begin using them, um, even right here at Resurrection. This week we're going to talk about what it means to be great as a leader. And this is especially important for us as we prepare to nominate elders and deacons. That's going to happen during the month of June. And these are just the two offices of leadership in our form of church government, and we're just beginning this process. And I'm going to preach in the next two weeks specific sermons on the office of elder and the office of deacon. So you can consider this sermon a bit of an on-ramp to those conversations. And so as we get started this afternoon, um, ambition. Is ambition good or bad? And if you're a note taker and you're taking notes this afternoon, you can even like jot down a few thoughts about that, good or bad. Is ambition good or bad? And by the way, there's some neighborhood group discussion questions for you to chew on this later. Uh, the desire to be recognized. Is the desire to be recognized good or bad? Uh, to be honored for things, the good things you've done. Is that good or bad. Um, that's the tension that our text gets into this afternoon. And I want to start with just a quote from Dan Doriani. He's a former professor. He wrote this amazing commentary on Matthew's Gospel. And I wonder if you agree or disagree uh, with Dan Doriani. Dan Doriani says this, Most of us want to avoid work as much as possible. Then garner as much honor as possible. Thumbs up if you agree. Most of us want to avoid work as much as possible, and then garner as much honor as possible. Thumbs up if you agree. Thumbs down if you disagree or interactive. Okay, we got, all right, there's some in between. Okay, cool. Um, the baby boomers in the room are like, yeah, the millennials I work with. And the millennials are like, yeah, that's kind of me, actually. Um, I can say that I'm a millennial. Um, our passage today hits on themes of ambition and recognition and honor. Keep that in mind as I read our passage. Matthew 20, starting in verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, 
And kneeling before him, she asked him something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. Then he said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom my father is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as a son of man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The word of the Lord. Father, we do thank you uh, for your word. Thank you that you um, have spoken to us. You have spoken to us, and, and we need you to do that now. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to us through this word. And that where we are prideful, you would humble us. And where we are discouraged and downtrodden, you would lift us up. And where we don't have eyes to see, you would give us vision. And where we don't have ears to hear, you would give us hearing. And where we don't have faith, you would give us faith. Holy Spirit, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's how I want to think about this this afternoon. Three headings. I want to talk about the request, the responses, and the teaching moment. The request, the responses, and the teaching moment. First, there's a request in this passage. Look at verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? Which is always an amazing thing that Jesus would ask people this. What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. All right, what's going on here? Uh, This mother, by the way, who is most likely Jesus' aunt or aunt, depending on where you're from and your regional dialect. I'm a Midwesterner. It's his aunt. Jesus' aunt goes to Jesus on behalf of her two sons. The two sons are James and John. James and John are like inner circle friends of Jesus, inner circle disciples So mom goes on behalf, she kneels before Jesus, would have been a sign of respect, and she asks Jesus if her two sons can sit at either side of Jesus in his kingdom and rule with him. What was the request? She was asking Jesus to give her two sons a place of honor. It was a request for honor. And this does not come out of nowhere. The disciples have had this ongoing conversation about honor and recognition There's actually three parts to this conversation. If you have a Bible, you can see it right above our passage. And I want to highlight this just because it's such a great picture of human nature. We can read ourselves into this so easily. This is back in Matthew 19, verses 27 to 30. Prior to our passage. Then Peter said in reply to Jesus, See, we have left everything and followed you. Then what will we have? So he's saying, Jesus, we've really sacrificed to follow you. What's our reward going to be? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. 
And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Okay, what's going on there? This is before our passage. Peter asked Jesus, hey, look, we've left everything to be your followers, so what do we get? And Jesus says, and you actually get something. You're going to be sitting on the thrones ruling with me. And that those who have left everything to follow him are going to re- be repaid just, just in an unimaginable way. And then he kind of throws in this comment, oh, and by the way, the, the first will be last, the last will be first. And we're just like, wait, what? There's a hint that, that maybe honor and reward and recognition in the kingdom of God is different. That's part one. Part two, he tells a story, which Jesus loved to do. That was his main way of teaching, was telling stories. He tells a story about laborers in a vineyard. This is Matthew 20. Basically, the story goes like this. An, uh, uh, an owner of a vineyard hires workers in the morning. They agree to a certain price. He's like, cool, all right, go to work. Later in the day, he realizes he needs more workers. So he goes and gets more workers later in the day. Finds people that need a job. Hey, let's go. He does that two more times, later in the day, later in the day. It comes time to pay all these workers who've been working in his vineyard all day. And uh, you would think, you know, if this is like Chick-fil-A, look, you put in an eight-hour shift, you're going to get paid your per-hour amount at the end of that day, and it's going to be great, right? Which, by the way, according to the sign at Chick-fil-A, it's like $15 an hour plus benefits and free Chick-fil-A or something. It's amazing. Um, and then the, those that like worked at Chick-fil-A for an hour that day, they're going to get you know, just an hour's wages. That's how we would think about it. But in this story that Jesus tells, everyone who went to work that day for in this vineyard got paid the same. And that doesn't feel fair. You could imagine those who worked the full day were pretty upset about that. Thinking about Doriani's quote, we want to do the least amount of work and get the most honor and recognition That was part two, leading up to our text. Part three, this is right above our passage. Stay with me, because this is all building to this conversation on honor and recognition. Part three is right above our passage. Jesus tells his disciples how his own life was going to end, what his own reward was going to be. Um, He he says here that um, at the end of his life, he makes this passing comment that, oh yeah, you know, basically I've lived this perfectly righteous life, but I'm going to be mocked and flogged, crucified, then I'm going to die. That's my reward. Do you see the theme that is building here? As the disciples are preoccupied with getting honor and recognition, Jesus just keeps saying time and again, hey, honor and recognition in the kingdom of God is just very different than honor and recognition in the world. And if we pause there and sort of bring our heads up, this is really difficult for us to hear. Um, if you're familiar with the Bible, maybe you have some kind of like church background and you've heard this kind of teaching before. If you have your Bible hat on, you're reading this, which I don't know what a Bible hat looks like. It's probably a pretty amazing looking hat. But if you have your Bible hat on, you're reading this, you think, yeah, the first or last, the last or first, I'm on board. I, I like what Jesus is saying here. Um, but everything in our hearts and our lives is just screaming out against this. We don't naturally live this way. Our lives are driven by recognition, building the resume, getting the promotion, student of the month, team captain, uh, employee of the month, uh, top producer in sales for the year, uh, yard of the month, landing the new client, 
a certain number of likes or followers or comments on social media. Uh, maybe it's not with you, but it's with your kids, They're your own achievements and recognition of your own children. Our lives are driven by recognition. Um, it's often why we post what we post on social media, the, like the infamous humble brag. It's, it's real, right? Uh, the only social media that I'm currently on is one called Strava. Um, Strava is basically social media for runners and cyclists where you literally post the workout that you just did. That's all it is, which in my world is amazing. Um, and, it, you know, at Strava, you can kind of geek out with all the data. You can, like, see what someone's heart rate was going up a certain hill that you've been on. There's this thing called segments. Talk to me afterwards. We can talk all about Strava. But I'm obsessed with it. There's all kinds of cool data. And you can, like, your friend in California that rode his bike up an epic mountain, you can, like, get the data on that. And it's so fun. And so it is by far, um, when I get my screen report on my phone, it is by far the thing that I spend the most amount of time on, on my phone. Strava. Why do I do that? Why am I on Strava so much? I mean, I love to track the data. I love to stay connected for sure. And if I'm honest, I kind of love the recognition. There's this little thumbs up button. It's called giving kudos. I love getting kudos on my workouts on Strava. I love honor and recognition. And certainly that's a part of the drive. Um, the desire for honor and recognition is in our DNA. We are just hungry for it. Um, we feel this in our lives. And it's the same for James and John in making this request. That's the request. Can we be recognized and have a place of honor next to you, Jesus? What happens next? There's a few responses. Let's talk about the responses. The first response is from Jesus. Look at verse 22. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, We are able. Then he said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is um, for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And so Jesus' response is basically like, yeah, that's not really a great question to ask. He asks them, James and John, are you able to drink this cup that I'm going to drink from? And that might feel like a random or at least an odd question for us, um, but this cup imagery is a big deal in the Bible. Um, the Psalms talk about the cup of blessing or the cup of salvation from the Lord. Um, the prophet Jeremiah talks about the cup of disaster that is coming. Um, the prophet Isaiah talks about the cup of God's wrath. Lots of cup imagery. They would have been familiar with this. And Jesus says, can you drink from the cup that I'm going to drink from? And which cup is that? Which cup will Jesus drink from? It's the cup of God's wrath. That was the plan, that Jesus would drink the cup of God's wrath and that he would do that in our place because we were the ones who really needed to, who deserved to drink from that cup. That's the cost of leadership for Jesus. Uh, the cost of greatness and honor and recognition is to drink the cup of God's wrath, to take the fall for humanity. By the way, when Jesus tells them that they're going to drink of it too, he's likely referring to the fact that James is going to die a martyr's death, and that John is going to be imprisoned on an island later in his life. But he says, ultimately, look, where you sit, that's up to my father. That's not my decision to make. But Jesus stays on message. Honor and recognition in my kingdom is just so different than you think. Do you really want what you're asking? That's Jesus' response. The other disciples have a response too. Verse 24 what a picture of human nature. It says, and when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. 
I don't think this takes a lot of explanation to understand. You have this group of insider followers of Jesus, and they're all kind of jockeying to be honored and to be recognized. And we can picture this, right? Listen to an earlier question that they asked Jesus in Matthew 18. It says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I mean, this is just an ongoing conversation, to which, by the way, Jesus answered, A child. But in case it hasn't been clear, humans have a preoccupation with receiving honor and recognition. In my first job out of college, I worked um, for a home builder, and it was a large home building company, and um, we built a lot of houses in, in, this, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area where I was living at the time. And everyone who, who built a house with us, they would move in, um, they would receive a customer satisfaction survey. This would be mailed to them, and they would fill it out. And basically all of the marketing and advertising of this company I worked for was dependent upon good survey scores. So we would get good survey scores, and we would put billboards all over town saying, we're number one in customer service, come build a house with us. Okay, so my job was to basically make sure people were really happy and that they filled out these surveys with really great marks. And so that, that was sort of what it was all about. And um, there was even like part of like the compensation structure was like dependent on survey scores, which like just a word of advice, that's probably not a great way to structure things if you're an employer. Um, because there was another guy in my same position that was over another community. And, you know, you would sort of be accountable for all the survey scores, all the recognition and responses you got from your particular houses in your community. There's another guy in, in another community where he would gather all the surveys from all the homeowners. He would just say, don't mail it, just give it to me. He would take them and he would open them and he would read them. They're supposed to be anonymous. And the ones that were good, he would fold back up, put them back in the envelope, send them off. The survey scores that were bad, he would open them up. It was, we, construction trailers, right? You've seen these before. We worked at a construction. He would take them behind the construction trailer and he literally dug a hole in the ground and put the bad surveys in the hole in the ground and then lit the bad surveys on fire and burned them. And they were never sent in. Because our jobs depended on us being recognized as being great in our jobs. Or we weren't going to get paid. And so sometimes you go behind a trailer and burn things. Um, the other ten disciples, they get upset because they're afraid that James and John are getting this insider track to honor and recognition. So they become indignant. They get upset about this. And how does Jesus speak into this confusion about what it means to receive honor and recognition? He gathers them all back together for a teaching moment. Let's talk about this teaching moment. Have you ever had a teaching moment in your household, maybe with your family? This is a totally hypothetical scenario, but maybe um, dinner is wrapping up. Let's say you have three children. Again, very hypothetical. Um, you have three children. Two of the children eat all of their dinner. And so those two children who ate all of their dinner get to have dessert after dinner, which dessert is always awesome. And there's one child, though, of the three that did not eat all of the dinner. And they look longingly at the dessert as it arrives at the table. And that child who did not eat all the dinner, Mom, Dad, can I please have dessert? And then you, as a great parent that you are, think, you know, here's a, here's a teaching moment. Time for a teaching moment. You know, son, you know, daughter, because we all call our kids son and daughter, this is why you really need to eat all your dinner. This is why you need to eat all your vegetables. Um, so you, you can have dessert. You know, this whole thing could have gone differently, right? This whole meal could have ended differently. You could have just eaten the food and you could have the dessert right now. You know, I want you to think about that tomorrow night when all the food's out here and you're complaining about what's in front of you. I want you to eat the food because then you can have dessert. 
It's this teaching moment that arises out of the situation where you're like, hey, we're going to speak into this and make a big deal out of this so my kids remember this. That's very hypothetical. I'm sure it's never happened in your house. Never happened in mine. Here's a teaching moment from Jesus. But Jesus called them to Him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. So He's saying in verse 25, all right, you have the example. You know how leadership works in the world. Verse 26 it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. He says the worldly way of leadership that you are used to is the leadership that is heavy-handed, lorded over people. By the way, Doriani points out, he says that greatness... Do you know how greatness was shown in the ancient world? Greatness was shown by how many slaves and servants you had. That was like the mark of greatness. Like, all right, how many servants, how many slaves? Let's, let's see the resume. That's going to show how great you are. That's what it meant in the, in the ancient world. Greatness means servants and slaves. What does Jesus say into that moment? That's not how it works in my kingdom. He flips it upside down. He says, actually, greatness is being a servant. And the first place, the place of honor among you, is the place of a slave. And then he gives himself as the ultimate example of this. He says, even as me, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He says he came not to be served, but to serve. Which, by the way, if anyone had the right to come and insist on being served, it was Jesus, the King, the eternal King of the universe. But he didn't. He came to serve others, not to be served himself. He came to give away rather than to take. He came to yield rather than insist. If you watch the final conversations of Jesus' life, pay attention to how often he yields and how often he insists. He came to be misunderstood rather than to prove his point. He came to suffer rather than to live for comfort. And ultimately, he came to give his life as a ransom for many. Um, our salvation, if you're a follower of Christ, the fact that you are saved, that you're in Christ, that you know the Father, that is totally dependent upon Jesus assuming and embodying this upside-down nature of giving his life away as a ransom to buy us back. Our salvation depends on Jesus being like this. The whole thing depends on this. All right, two main takeaways for us that just come straight out of this text, straight out from Jesus, actually, these final verses that are just crucial for us as a new church family. Two main takeaways this afternoon. The first is this, first takeaway. Jesus is our ransom. Jesus is our ransom. He is saying that He drank the cup of God's wrath for you so that you can drink the cup of God's salvation. It is finished. You are forgiven. Jesus is our ransom. You cannot fix your sin problem on your own. Um, Jesus must do it for you. And the good news is that He did. And so the question is, do you believe this? 
Um, the offer before you is to own the fact that you need Jesus to be your ransom and that you cannot earn your way out of your sin or buy your way out of your sin, but you need someone to do it for you. And if you want to talk more about that, let's chat after the service later today. That's the first takeaway. Jesus is our ransom. Second takeaway, Jesus is calling us to follow His example in leadership. He tells us explicitly to follow His example in leadership. Greatness means serving. Doing the hidden hard thing. Deferring recognition to others. Checking our ambition. Is it worldly ambition or is it kingdom ambition? Is it, is it Jesus-like ambition or is it something else? This is the way of following Jesus. And it will seep into very mundane, very practical areas of our lives. Um, everyone has the pan that gets the food stuck to it. It's a great pan, but it is so hard to clean. And so th- then you have divergent philosophies of what to do with said pan. Some prefer the wait and soak method, leaving it for a few days or a week. Um, others have the scrub it now uh, philosophy. Um, but following Jesus in these just practical mundane areas it just means like being the one that cleans the pan that no one wants to clean Um, it means like when you take the trash out eventually someone's got to like wipe out the bottom of that trash can someone has to do that or maybe it's you know just with your schedule and it's, it's letting go of your schedule to just be with others and serve them even if it messes up your plans Um, The way of Jesus that he's inviting us into is to disadvantage ourselves for the good of others. And so what would that look like? Even just think practically about your home life. What would that look like around your home um, for your roommate or for your family members to disadvantage yourself for the good of your family? Kids, what would it look like to disadvantage yourself for the sake of your brothers and sisters? If you're on a team at work, what would it look like for you to disadvantage yourself for the good of your team? At school, what would it look like for you to disadvantage yourself for the good of your classmates? Our world screams at us to find every way to get ahead at all costs. But the Jesus way, is just, it's very different than that. It's leading by serving. And you can imagine how this shapes the life of a new church especially future officers and leadership of this church. Um, If we take our cues from the disciples and are constantly jockeying um, for honor and recognition, then we're going to look no different than the world around us. And and ultimately, we'll just kind of eat each other alive, trying to just, like, prove ourselves. If we take our cues from the disciples, if we take our cues from Jesus, we'll flip that model on its head, and there will be a flood of behind-the-scenes, servant-hearted, sacrificial, leading-by-serving that happens just totally under the radar. Um, Where the desire for honor and recognition is not what's driving our service, uh, but what's driving our service is the way of Jesus and the way that He has already sacrificed for us. And just imagine that. Let your mind dream a little bit about what this Jesus-like leadership being lived out in our church family might look like. Imagine that for our future elders and deacons. And by the way, as we move towards nominating people to serve as elders and deacons of this church, who already feels that way to you? 
Who is that type? Who has this Jesus-like type of leadership that serves, that leads by serving? Um, we're going to talk a lot about what it means to, to who we should nominate and whatever for this process. Um, but one of the things we're going to say a lot is who is already living this way and already doing this. Not someone who might be good at that one day, who maybe has it in them, but who is already living in this Jesus-like way of leading by serving. Imagine that from a church perspective. Imagine that with, with, on your street with your neighbors. What if your non-believing neighbors' um, understanding of, of Christianity and of following Jesus was how you just like keep selflessly serving them and not looking for recognition or honor? That's a beautiful thing to think about. Um, in school with your classmates, imagine this Jesus-like leadership in student government and in the organizations that you're in, on your team with your teammates. Um, what a beautiful gift that we could give to those around us and what a way that we could point to Jesus. And let me pray and ask him to do those things among us. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you that we have um, the ultimate servant, le- servant leader in Jesus Uh, The one who calls us not just into a life of servant leadership, but one who modeled it, and modeled it in such a way that it meant our salvation, that he was a ransom for us. One who came not to be served, but to serve. Father, our minds are racing as far as the implications for this. Would you, by your Holy Spirit, would you uh, apply your word to our hearts? Show us where we need to assume the lowest role, where we're calling us to lead by serving. Father, help us in our neighborhood groups as we wrestle through this together about what that would look like for our church family and in our neighborhoods and in our individual lives. And oh, Father, meet us as we come to your table. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, The life of Jesus pouring himself out, being our ransom for us, is shown forth at this meal that we're going to